Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and A.J. Joining us now again live in studio tonight is the founder and owner of Archival Television Audio, Inc., which is a matchless archive and commercial library accredited by the Guinness Book of World Records containing thousands of unequaled audio air check soundtracks representing the only broadcast record of original television programs televised in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Their direct line, high-quality, quarter-inch master reel-to-reel TV audio soundtracks were originally recorded off the air at the same time these original broadcasts took place. Decades later, these tracks take on special value all their own, for they represent the only broadcast record of a lost show or series. These archival television audio soundtracks provide a precious link to early television broadcast history. It is a pleasure to, again, welcome him back into studio, Phil Grice to 540 AM Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Phil. My pleasure, Mark. It's been a little bit of a while, but yeah. I'm so happy to be back. And, and we're, we're thrilled to have you. So if you've never heard Phil on our show... Um, or one of the many other shows he appears on, you're in for a treat. As we mentioned in the open, his collection of audio is unmatched. So before we get into the clips that, that he's collected for us tonight, for those in the audience hearing and seeing you for the first time, tell them how you got started with this collection, which, yeah, and it's hard for people out there to fathom, this predates the DVR, VCR, Betamax, even the cassette era. So tell us how you got into it and how you got started. A long, long time ago, um, when the only way you could preserve a television program was to audio tape your TV, that was a motivation for me. Um, I would uh, look at the TV guide. I would pick and choose what I would want to tape because I knew that I would probably not process 80% of what I was watching uh, a week later. But I had the audio and I could listen to it a year later if I wanted to. That was my primary motivation, and um, I uh, had this wonderful gift from my parents in the late 50s, and I began taping my TV. And that, that wonderful gift was a reel-to-reel, quarter-inch deck, Reel-to-reel, right? webcore, stereophonic, tape recorder. It was, uh, it was um, just a wonderful instrument. Uh, hooked it up to the back of the TV, you were not supposed to take the back of the TV <laughs> right. off or you'd be electrocuted. Right. It's a you'd be electrocuted. By, right. Also, it didn't say punishable by law. It and was, it had a yeah. sign on yeah. there, punishable. You know, you look the out the thing, window ripping, ripping before the, you do the, this. The tag you know, off your pillow. And I right. took alligator clips and I uh, tagged them onto the speaker wire um, leads. And uh, then I went with a phone plug into the input of the web core and direct line sound. And some of the sound we'll be hearing tonight is over 60 years old. And you could swear it was uh, something you might have heard yesterday. So do you still have that deck? I do. You, you it, do. It, wow. It's in a storage area. I have not seen it for a number of years, and hopefully it's not like the Titanic. <laughs> but it still works, right? No. Oh, it doesn't? It has not been working for decades. Okay. Yeah. All right. So the first clip we're going to play tonight comes from April 30th, 1960, an NBC broadcast called Baseball's Changing Profile, and it's a rare interview with Ty Cobb, which is so cool. So first off, was this one of the shows you taped as a young man, or is this something you came across later? You know, no, and- I did not come across this. I taped this particular program, um, April 30th, 1960, Frank McGee. 
Uh, there was a show called uh, World, uh, Wide World 60. Most of the shows were political-oriented, but there was this one show that had to do with baseball, and I jumped on it. And um, I'm so glad I did because we're going to be hearing a little clip of uh, the only time Ty Cobb ever did a sit-down interview that uh, one could uh, dig out of uh, some kind of research pool, whether it be radio or television. All right, Rick, so play the Ty Cobb clip. Uh, naturally, uh, our style of baseball that I broke into the American League and played for some 24 years, and with such great players as, oh, Lashaway and Collins and Jackson and Speaker, and goodness knows how many more great players, Ruth. Uh, I think we played during that era the best baseball uh, that has been played. You don't think there are players of that sort uh, on the scene today? I do not want to make comparisons. Uh, odious. I certainly do not think that Wagner could be easily matched in all-round ability. No speaker. Now Collins, and now Ruth, and fellows of that stripe, they just don't have them anymore. Uh, it's the uh, encroachment of the lively ball that destroys the value of the one run. Baseball is, uh, is supposed to be played within the confines of an enclosed field. Now, for instance, Home Run Baker, he was called Home Run Baker in our day with a dead ball, and the most home runs he ever made was 12. So you have an artificial thing today. Most uh, any little fellow can come along and bump 12 over the fences or into the stands. Don't you see? The value of the home run is... I say, I say it's down. 59 years ago, yeah. that could be a player from the 70s or 80s talking today. It's so amazing. And not only that, I mean, you've got to love the fact, I mean, they did this at his home in, yeah. in his backyard. And, and your audio is so clear. that The audio back then was so clear. You hear the birds yeah, chirping the in birds. the background while Ty Cobb <laughs> is talking. But, but what a statement. Home Run Baker, he was called Home Run Baker in my day, and he hit 12, run, 12 home runs. Any little guy today can bump 12 over the fence is what he was saying I back know. in 1960. And now it's more than ever. Now right. it's more the, than the, ever. The, and this is coming from someone, it's, it's mind-boggling, 12 uh, seasons where uh, he uh, was uh, batting crown. Yeah, unbelievable. I mean, and I, I don't think I've ever heard Ty Cobb speak and, you know, you saw the movie Cobb with, with uh, Tommy Lee Jones, and, and you, I, I got a whole different mindset, but just the way he spoke, you know, odious and just, know. you know, he was very well spoken. I That's know. not the way he came across in the movie. Uh, so you think of him as a terror. Yeah, very, very <laughs> cool stuff, Phil. All right, so our next clip is pretty cool because it includes the only known opening of a New York Giants TV broadcast, and it's from the New York Giants' last home games, last home game, and it, ends 
with Willie Mays stepping up to home plate, and you can hear the audience reaction, the stadium, as Willie walks up to the plate for the last time in his career as a New York. Knickerbocker, New York's famous beer, the beer that will satisfy your beer thirst better, and Pell-Mell famous cigarettes bring you another New York Giants baseball game from the Polo Grounds in New York City. Hello, everybody. This is Jim Woods along with Russ Hodges and Bob Delaney. And we finally reached it, the final game of the year between the New York Giants and the Pittsburgh Pirates, brought to you by Knickerbocker, New York's famous beer and Pell-Mell famous cigarettes. I guess all closing days of a baseball season are pretty sad, but this one doubly so, for reasons that we do not have to go into. But we're going to have the starting lineup for you, and Bill Rigney's got one today that brings back nostalgia because Bill has tried to put everybody he can that was on the 1954 World Championship Club. We'll have those lineups for you in just a moment. Well, there's the first out. It probably will be. Johnny Powers makes the catch, and this will probably be the last time we'll see Willie Mays. standing ovation from the fans. Pretty nearly everybody in the ballpark has risen to give Willie a New York so long. A couple of things there. First of all, I, you know, I'm not a smoker, and I, I don't even know if they're around anymore, but I always thought it was called Palm Mall. It, it, the way they pronounce it was totally different, you know, which was interesting. But you mentioned that this is the only known open uh, of a New York Giants, you know, television broadcast. How yes. do you go about researching that to find out and authenticate the fact that it is the only known version well, of that? Well, let's qualify uh, by saying it's the only known as far as um, my own research and other people's research and what is out there in the collecting world and then... In the archive world, I mean, even if you if you uh, scour the Library of Congress or Paley Center or UCLA, or you you know you deal with people who have other fairly um, uh, com uh, composite collections, you're not going to find an opening of a New York Giant television baseball game. Russ Hodges, Jim Woods, the opening, you know, with Knickerbocker presents. Yeah. I mean, it's mind-boggling that. No one even audio recorded a game like that, with this one exception. This I did not record. This was found through um, a, 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 the wife of a dentist who passed away who got in touch with me in Jersey. And most of his material um, is not of interest to me, but he taped this one particular moment. And it's fantastic. And, um, you know, just hearing the banging Right, the fans, on the stadium right. side walls. Right. I mean, uh, it, it, it's just so uh, much of a memory that, uh, it, yeah, and then, you know, Willie is still alive today, and right. uh, what an icon. Unbelievable. So here's another New York last, but whereas Giant fans knew it was their last game, when Vince Scully is doing that game, he, he you know, the inkling, you know, he had an inkling that it was going to be the last, but it was not official. So this is from October 8th, 1957. It also includes a clip of the evening news that night. This was the Brooklyn Dodgers' last game at Ebbets Field. And it's uh, the end of our eighth year with the ball club. Boy, those years have certainly gone fast. Eight years. 
Chip, you, William Herbie have been with us for about 20 years, haven't they? Uh, they've just got out, I believe. <laughs> I don't know they, where they've been for 20 years. Well, friends, uh, that's just about it. We don't want to go into a big, long thing here just to let you know that we sure enjoyed working for you all year long. We hope we brought you some enjoyment. I imagine sometime, brother, we've gotten you a little mad at the other end, too. But, too, that's the way it goes. We were trying. And now you'd like to remind everybody that this final game, Jerry, was brought to them like every game through 1957 by home. The F&M Schaefer Brewing Company of Brooklyn, Benny, Brewers of Schaefer Beer, and all the fine folks at Schaefer who have had a part in bringing the baseball games to the folks this year. And remember, it's America's oldest lager beer. It's real beer. And by Lucky Strike, a light smoke, the best-tasting cigarette you ever smoked. It's made by the American Tobacco Company, and tobacco is our middle name. And, of course, a lot of fine folks in the American Tobacco Company. It's been a real pleasure, Vinny, to be with you and Al and all the Dodgers all during the 1957 season. Our swell sponsors, Schaefer Beer and Lucky Strike, and all the guys here in the booth, Tommy Volante, Alan Ross, Happy Durkin, and... Uh, well, it's been fine associating with these very, very wonderful Brooklyn Dodger fans all the way, don't you think? That's right, indeed. And we want to certainly say hello to our Dodger network, which was really spreading its wings this year for the first time, as well as to all our friends in New York. And uh, all of us here in the booth hope we'll be talking to you in 1958. 57, as far as the baseball season is concerned, and our own personal little duties with the ball club, just about down the drain. So, for the last time... We'll be saying goodbye. And good luck. And we'll see you soon. Take care of yourself. So long. Well, Brooklyn is mourning its beloved bums tonight. The departure of the Dodgers occurring this afternoon with the official announcement that the club is moving its franchise to Los Angeles. The announcement came not from Dodger President Walter O'Malley, but from Arthur Patterson. It's interesting because that's 1957, and yes. if you... Um, are a baseball fan, that could have been two years ago. Vince Scully's voice has not changed over the decades, and it, it's so cool to hear him so early into his career, the, the last Brooklyn Dodger game. That, that, that was a very cool moment. And he moment. had been there eight years, years already, even right. at that point. Right. So how did you come across that one? Is that one that you recorded? No, I did not record that one, and that is such a precious piece of nostalgia. Um, I get a kick out of... Um, the fact that uh, Vince Scully uh, says at the end that uh, he hopes to be in the, seeing you in the booth in 1958. Right. Now, we know he knew. <laughs> he knew. And that Ron Cochran, CBS uh, 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 early evening news report, was 10 days later. Um, and it was right. official. Right. But they knew. And right. I have a feeling that he was told... Don't you dare say anything. Especially since O'Malley wasn't the person to make the and announcement. And he didn't even either. make the announcement. Right. He snuck out of town. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But it was so cool as well hearing Vin back then. Um, our next clip also celebrates another last. This one was the last home run hit by Roger Maris in 1961. And then a little bit of him on the Red Barber postgame show from um, October 1st, 1961. Goodness, what goodness, what very special goodness in the big cheese cereals from General Mills. Well, friends, our post-game guest for today, uh, Johnny Sane, and he's here. 
But uh, a young man has also uh, gotten himself on the show, and there he sits there, and I'm glad to see him sitting there relaxed. And, uh, <laughs> and of course, you know that he has done something that no ball player's ever done, 61 home runs in a pennant season. And sitting with him is his manager, and we're looking forward to having a little chat in a moment and in letting Roger uh, see home run number 61 that he hit. Well, Roger, that is very wonderful. You, you can see the reaction of your teammates, the trainer, and uh, uh, the crowd is just wild. And of course, you're going to come out, and it, uh, uh, everyone thought that you uh, you handled your bow very, very uh, uh, simply and just perfectly. And it. Uh, well, if you notice here that once I get out, I start to go back in. They keep pushing me out. They didn't want to let me in the, in the dugout. <laughs> well, well, look, uh, nobody ever hit 61 before. <laughs> couple of interesting things there. So, first of all, Roger Maris just broke Babe Ruth's record. You would think that he would be the only guest, but first, <laughs> the first guy he introduced is Johnny Saint, which is boggled my mind there. Yeah, I, um, same thing. It, it also interesting is that if you search the Internet and YouTube, you'll see the home run, but nothing like this a exists. So, as you started your collection, how did you determine what you were going to keep? Obviously, back in the day, you know, you didn't have an unlimited budget, so you had these reel-to-reel -reel tapes. And I I'm assuming, just like some of the TV stations, you had to make a determination, I don't want to keep this, I'm going to tape over this. Is there something that you taped over that you now regret that you wish you had? And how did you determine what you would tape over and what you would keep? I never taped over anything. I was really, really a very Rat wow. Pack type of guy. Now, wow. this is 58 <laughs> years ago. I did record this. And my dear father, he literally, you know, he went out of his way. It was a Sunday. Uh, he usually would drive me back to Farmingdale. I went to uh, the State University of Farmingdale at that time. And uh, he waited. And then I, I you know, this was going to be the game potentially for that 61st home run. I certainly wanted to get the post-game show with Red Barber. And uh, this is, you know, totally peerless. No one has this. It's never been played before until tonight any segment of it, and I love the fact that he looks at a replay. This was very early in the game to see videotape replay, and I agree. Johnny Sane is there. Uh, you know, I mean, you would think he's going to be the, the only he, guest. He buried the lead. It, 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 it's <laughs> mind-boggling, right? And another thing, very quickly, it was so rare to take a bow. Right, the curtain call. This right was a, a rare curtain call. People Today, you take, you take a curtain call for almost everything. Then that was a rare moment where Roger Maris, even after 61, gets pushed out of the dugout. So let me go back to the fact. So, so you never taped over anything. So how old were you when you started doing this? I started taping when I was around 15, 16 years old. Okay. So what did a reel-to-reel -reel tape cost? Five dollars. And I, I give... A lot of my love to my mom, my, my mom who used to give me five bucks to run down to the corner to buy a 2,400-foot Irish quarter-inch reel-to-reel tape. It, uh, it gave me two hours on one side and two hours on the other. It was mono. So I had four hours per reel, five bucks. So that's why you would sit with the TV guide and map out what you yeah, wanted. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just wouldn't indiscriminately just... I mean, today with the digital uh, technology, you put a card in, you, you run it forever. Everything is recorded today. Then you were very, very uh, 
you know, decisive in terms of when you were going to record anything, whether it be audio or picture or film. Well, here's another question. So let's say that particular game happened when you were not home. Did you leave special instructions for your parents? To, there were to times where I had my parents uh, record for me, yes. When I, so you would set it all up and you'd tell them? And well, I, I would ask my dad, you know, could you record? In fact, the Mazeroski home run, I was in Farmingdale. I was at college, right. and I had my father tape that. Now it's ubiquitous. It's out there. But there was a the time where that was pretty rare, even to have the TV audio. That's so, so your dad was the, the, the first, like, he, did it, uh, he, did he was the that. first DVR. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you could set your dad thank, to thank set you, the Nathan. timer. <laughs> All right. So um, let's see. So we move from a last to a first. This comes from one of my favorite old TV shows. Which is interesting because they have this current wave of bringing back all these old TV shows. Is the ten thousand dollar pyramid, which is back, the match game, and to tell the truth. And I'm sure very shortly this this program will probably make a comeback. So this is from to, actually I think they I, you know what I stand corrected. I think they do. There have, is a version of What's is. My Line. No, no, right. That that uh, that airs now. I think there is. It's I with think. stand up guys who do improv. Right, it, right. It's not the actual game show, but I think they should bring this back. Um, <laughs> so this is from. Oh no, actually, I'm, I'm wrong. This is from To Tell the Truth, right? Uh, no, this oh, is from What's what, My right. Line. This to is Tell is the from Truth is the one line. they brought back. What's My Line is and, the one I would like was, to see. This was only after the fourth. Mets game. Five days after yeah. the first Mets game ever, which is interesting. The first voice you're going to hear, which is also interesting because I don't know what he was doing in 1962. For me, he's from The Odd Couple, which yes. was many years later. So the first voice you're going to hear, I know it was on Broadway, yeah. but the first voice you're going to hear is that of Tony Randall. So this is Casey Stengel at the end of The Mystery Guest, and then a little bit of Casey from What's My Line. Mr. Randall? Well, I'll have to go the obvious route and ask if you're connected with the Mets. Yes. Are you Casey Stengel? He sure is. <laughs> now, as, as one of the new fans that Casey has played such a large part in creating of the Mets, I'm not at all downhearted, sir, and I think that you are a towering giant in the sports field, and I think the Mets are going to go on and, and write their name large in sports history. After all, you've just had a little time to get started, and you've got a long, hard job, as you've said yourself so many times, so we don't get disheartened. Yes, Dorothy? Well, I was going to say to Mr. Stengel that I don't know too much about baseball. In fact, I'm pretty dumb about it, but I do know about New Yorkers, and uh, I think we've needed an underdog team for a long time, and the same people who were rooting for the Dodgers and a lot who've rooted for Mr. Stengel in the past are going to be out screaming their heads off for him and for the Mets. John. Thank you very much. Explain, Casey, why I knew it was going to be Casey. We, I've been begging him. Uh, we pub, we're publishing Casey's book, Casey at the Bat. I've been begging him to come on this show for months. And finally, with the assistance, the very valuable assistance of his lovely wife, Edna, we talked him into coming tonight. And we're mighty glad to have you, Casey. Well, there's so many splendid people and experts, you know. I didn't think that I could qualify to ever appear on this show. Oh, Casey, you qualified to appear on this show a long, long time ago. Was it nine pennants in 12 years? That qualifies you for 55 appearances on What's My Line. 
And we, we're tickled. Actually, Casey doesn't like to get on television, and we're very tickled that he finally broke down and decided to join us. I'll tell Toots Shore that uh, <laughs> you finally gave in, because yes. he said you'd never do it. What do you think Casey, of the team, Casey? What are, you, what are you going to do about the Mets? Have you got some plans? Well, for... I know it's a little snowy today. It was about the uh, fourth <laughs> inning. And uh, we're not used to playing in the snow. And the first game, it rained, and we're not used to playing in the rain. <laughs> Typical Casey Stengel right there. If you're watching the Met game today, they actually showed a commercial with Casey for Life Cereal. So uh, yeah. just a, a great ambassador for the game. And it was just so cool hearing that. Um, and what also was interesting is the sound of that game show and the audience reaction. And, and that's not you know a, a clap track. That was live that's, that's television, live. and that the was days. the crowd. right? Um, yeah. and, and enthusiastic at, at hearing Casey talk. So that was very cool. A slight correction, Mark, and I apologize. Yeah. Who's, uh, what's my line wasn't revived. It's a different show with a similar sound. Whose line is it anyway? Exactly. Right. All, yes. right, so. All right, no problem. It's a, look at Rick correcting himself. <laughs> it is autocorrect. <laughs> All right, so our... Um, our next clip is one of those full circle moments. It's from Howard Cosell, September 11th, 1963. And it's an interview with former Brooklyn Dodger, then New York Met Duke Snyder. All these years later, Howard's grandson is affiliated with the Mets. He's the PA announcer. So here's Howard with the Duke of Flatbush. Great moments for you were, of course, in Brooklyn. Definitely, those were the golden years of my career. Uh, it was a great ballpark to hit in. I was very fortunate to be with a great bunch of fellows and a great bunch of ball players. We not only uh, had a great offensive team, we had a great defensive team. We had great pitchers and uh, you put them all together and you have a, just a fabulous ball club and a great bunch of guys. The memories are abundant of course, but this is an appropriate moment for the cliche questions, Duke. Which, if you were hard put to it, was the best team on which you ever played? Well, I would have to say, Howard, that the 1951 and 52 ball clubs were the greatest teams that I ever played on. Of course, we won the world's championship in 55, but we had Campanella catching, uh, Gill at first base, Jackie at second, Pee Wee at short, and Billy Cox at third. Mm -hmm. And in the outfield, we had three center fielders, Andy Pafko, myself, and Carl Ferrello. It was an extraordinary ball club. So much heartbreak connected with it, though, Duke. Does a man all these years later still remember what happened in 50 when Abrams was thrown out at home, the final game? What happened in 51 when Bobby hit the homer against Ralph? Well, I would actually have to say this, Howard, that uh, in my own opinion, uh, uh, when you're in baseball for 20 years like I have been, why uh, you're going to have your bad years and you're a uh, very sorrowful years where you lose the pennant on the last day of the season or in the playoffs but uh, I would have to say that uh, the good things overcome the bad things and you have mm -hmm. to accept not like them but you have to accept some of the bitter defeats that we did have and of course coming to New York knowing you were coming to a ninth or a tenth place club it was still a great experience and a lot of pleasure wasn't it I would have to say it's, it's been a fabulous experience for me. The way I was received in the city when I did come back opening day and the ovation that I got and the, and the way that the Met fans and the New York fans have uh, received myself as well as the Met Ball Club this year has been fabulous. And I would like to thank each and every one of them for being so nice to me and the Mets because uh, it's been a struggle. Uh, Casey's mm -hmm. done a good job. Uh, 
Uh, he, he tries to uh, win every game. He wants to win every game, but sometimes uh, he doesn't have a Blanchard or somebody else sitting over on the bench to send up to get that base hit for him. But he's been great to be with. The New York people have been fabulous to be with this year, and I just want to thank each and every one of them. Our next two clips come one week later as the Mets play their final game at the Polo Ground. So here's the last out done by Bob Murphy and then Bob's not-so-happy recap. Stirring it up here in the last half of the ninth inning. Runners on first and second, one man out. And Ted Schreiber will come on to hit for Larry Bernard. Rod Keneal is on second. And on first base, Chico Fernandez. One out in the last of the ninth inning, 5-1 to one Philadelphia. Ground ball to second. Over to second for one, on to first. Double play and the ball game and the home season is over. Ted Schreiber hitting the grounder hard to Cookie Rojas and into the... Well, the home season is over for Casey Stingle and the New York Mets. The last Mets game and the last National League game ever to be played in the polo grounds. And as the crowd slowly files toward the exits in the background, the playing of Old Lang Syne. Fittingly enough, Casey Stingle will be Ralph Kiner's special guest on Kiner's Corner coming up in just a couple of moments. The New York Mets in 68 home dates in the polo grounds drew 1,080,104. 157,574 fans more that attended home games of the New York Mets last year. The entire New York Mets organization wants to express their sincere thanks and appreciation for the wonderful loyalty, for the enthusiasm, for the ingenuity shown all year long by the fans of the New York Mets. From the very beginning, they started bringing the banners, doing everything they possibly could to help the Mets in every way that they could. They had a lot of fun, and they made it a lot more enjoyable for everyone concerned. In today's game, Philadelphia, five runs, eight hits, no errors, and four left. New York, one run, nine hits, two errors, and eight left. Chris Short going all the way to win his eighth of the year against 11 losses. The loser was Craig Anderson, and Casey had four pitchers in the game. Bauda and Bernard, the last two, both worked two perfect innings in relief. No game tomorrow for New York. They'll be in San Francisco Friday night. We will be televising the game Friday night from Candlestick Park. We'll be on with the telecast at 11.15 p.m. New York time. The pitcher for New York on Friday night against Willie Mays and company will be right-hander Carl Willie. So that's the story, the end of the home season for the New York Mets in the polo grounds. Today's telecast came to you through the courtesy of Liebman Breweries, Brooklyn, New York. Brewers since 18... All right, so a couple of things. When you listen back to those clips, whether it be the way Howard Cosell phrased a question, the way Duke Snyder answered the question, or the way that Bob Murphy closed out a game back then, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you compare it to the broadcasters of today? Very classy. And um, I got to say, just listening, it seems like yesterday. It seems like that was just on yesterday <laughs> with Bob Murphy. Um, and uh, what I'm really grateful about is that my calling was, for whatever reason, to uh, record uh, history based on these television broadcasts. There are others who have taped radio broadcasts, but not television. And you had different announcers and different kinds of, of programming. This is a very good example. Um, to listen to 
uh, Howard Cosell interviewed Duke Snyder. I mean, that would be gone forever if I didn't record uh, the uh, ABC News. He had a sports show every day, you know, like uh, from 6.30 to 7, you had the local news. And it's just really, you know, um, wonderful to, to be able to listen again because I'm sure there are very few people who ever remember that program. Right. So, in closing, I know when I did my Kiner's Corner book, I reached out to you, and you were a very valuable resource, as you had a few of the episodes of Kiner's Corner. In an average week, how many people reach out to you to try and, and find a clip on a specific topic, whether it be for writing a book or, or even for uh, use in a movie? How often are you contacted, and what is your filing system like to be able to find something that someone is looking for? Um, I do get uh, requests uh, from uh, television documentary producers, Florentine, Ken Burns. I've, I've been able to transact with them. Um, um, there are motion pictures who um, will use the tracks um, in the background, and they'll, you know, they'll have someone watching a TV game or something or a television program. They'll use the tracks. There, there are so many different uh, ways that this can be used for authors such as you, you know, you had material that you would never get anywhere else, and you had verbatim, right off the soundtrack, the actual interview. Is there something in your collection that is your absolute favorite clip, something that, whether it be because of the way and the time you recorded it that brings you back to that moment, or just because of you got something you didn't expect to get? Well, um, I will stay with... um, May 1st, 1960, Channel 13, before it was PBS, and Jackie Robinson recites the Gettysburg Address to his wife and his children. I mean, that is mind-boggling to me, and I received a wonderful letter from Rachel a number of years ago, and the beauty of it is that she did not remember doing the show. And we played that the last yes, time you we were did. on. We did that and whole it's now show in on Jackie the Robinson. It's in the Jackie Robinson Museum. Unbelievable. Phil, we love it. And, I, you know, every so often I'll send you a message on Facebook, like, you know, let's do another theme. And yeah. you put together a, a great set of, of, you know, clips tonight. For those who are interested in maybe just for themselves getting some of these audio for their collection, where can they find out more about your collection? Now the website is uh, www.atvaudio.com. One can always call me. I, uh, I, I solicit that. People who are looking for particular broadcasts or people who just want to talk about old-time television, 516-656-5677. Um, and um, I welcome anyone who has other material that is not in our collection. And we continue to add to the website. The website now... Um, has about 60%, there are 40% additional uh, titles that are in the collection that are not posted. Wow. Yeah, absolutely incredible. I, I love it. Every time you come in, thanks so much for coming in tonight. We really appreciate it. Well, it's been my pleasure, and uh, I hope one day that I can pass this along even to my grandson, Caden. You never know. This collection will have to live somewhere else at a certain point, <laughs> and I look forward to it being kept alive. Awesome. Phil Grice, founder and owner of Archival Television Audio, Inc.